Welcome back into Play by Playcast. It is the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster, a professional development pod that talks about the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play by play announcers in the business. My name is Joel Godet. That is Jason Ross Jr. and his Detroit Lions pullover. Uh, let's start there. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It is a congratulatory time for all Detroiters. And oh my gosh, I, I can even describe the feeling. It's the first time it's ever happened in my life. They've won a playoff game as we record this a few days after their win over the Rams, which was kind of the Detroit Bowl with which with Stafford returning to Detroit. So super nostalgic. And man, it is so cool. And now we play Tampa in a few days. Um, kind of ironically, I'll be watching that game in Florida, actually, even though it's in Detroit, because I have a game at Florida in Gainesville. So I'll be watching in Florida, but rooting for my Lions, of course. So all week long, I'm wearing the Honolulu blue right now. Uh, you do preseason games on television for the yes. Lions. So, and it's funny. Um, this is preparation, not stalking, because this is a podcast. Uh, so I was watching <laughs> your your reels on YouTube and your, your football reel starts with a stand up from a preseason game where you turn to Devin Gardner and say, there's never been this much excitement before. This is incredible. Uh, so I guess congratulations on uh, prof profitizing this uh, this season, manifesting, manifesting this season. Um, what's it like to um, be a part of an NFL preseason broadcast? And 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 not that any other league is. I'm not ranking leagues, but I feel like the Shield is like the pinnacle in some respects. Uh, what's it like to be on the air for the NFL preseason? Yeah, it was an honor to be brought on by my hometown team uh, this past offseason. And this season in particular, we talked about how much right now as we record, this line's coming off a playoff win. First in my lifetime, the division title and first playoff win at Ford Field. I mean, so we go back to training camp. It was sold out every day. You just felt that energy, you know, people standing, standing room only around the edges of the practice fields. And then I got on the team, the buses a couple of times, which actually would take fans from the parking lot to the Allen Park training facility. And, you know, you have like grown men wearing, you know, wine costumes at nine in the morning earlier than that. And now all of that energy that people have built up over a lifetime is paying off for me individually. It was so cool because I've always loved the NFL growing up and always loved the Lions, of course. So um, my first crack at an NFL opportunity just happened to come in my hometown. And I, I live in Chicago where I get to watch one of my favorite broadcasters who's been on the pod a couple of times, Adam Amin, do the Bears. And just to watch him and kind of learn from him and see how people essentially you hope to preview what a season could look like. Uh, for your fan base and put yourself in their shoes going into a season. I think as fans of NFL teams, we all kind of have that mindset of, you know, as soon as your schedule comes out, you're looking of where you, what could you look like by week five? You know, are you going to start one and one or zero oh and two? Like, you know, you rarely ever make the playoffs when you start zero oh and two, can the Lions flip it around? I remember one of our ideas we were looking at, we had, I think it was a string of like four weeks in a row where the Lions would be playing a, a quarterback who was in their first year, with their respective team. And we're saying to ourselves, okay, the Lions could start much better than they did last year. And this is one of the reasons why. And then they did do that. So I think you have that mindset of previewing what something is going to look like. And it's really fun to do that, compound it with one of the most exciting times in Lions franchise history to be a part of. And then for me, being a Lions fan growing up and had a ton of family and friends watching the games. 
Um, I would receive kind of random texts of people saying, hey, I just saw you or, you know, people I went to high school or college with them. So that was so cool. That was really, really, really cool. The hometown feel of it couldn't have been a better situation. That's what I think is kind of cool about your story is it's it's such a uh, grassroots rise in broadcasting in that um, you know you went to college in Detroit or just outside Detroit. Yeah, um, yep, Lawrence Technological University. Yeah, just outside and, of Detroit. Yeah. And from there, like you're you're going to games and making tapes and going to the rafters and um, you and Jenna Rose, uh, who's now made a name for herself as well. Um, are just like doing your own show and putting like you are scrapping and clawing and figuring it out as you go, and you're a Detroit kid. Um, the thrill of actually early in your career being able to fulfill, I am calling a game for my team, had to have been an unbelievable feeling. It was, it was, it truly was. I think, especially you mentioned some of the stuff I was doing during college trying to go to games in, in downtown Detroit. And I, I worked with a site called Detroit Sports Media where I would go to Red Wings games and Pistons games and Tigers games, Lions games, and just kind of set up a camera and then stand in front of it and report and just do that for reps to get on camera. Um, I would always kind of think of it as just a mindset of preparing for hopefully doing play-by-play -play at some point, kind of doing these on-camera pieces, whatever they might be in the sense of, okay, this is what I would do if I was on camera during a broadcast and how would I tell the story? And then when I would go to Red Wings games, for example, I would do that, but then I'd go up in the gondola at Little Caesars Arena and call the games for practice, uh, doing Red Wings games just into my phone and no one would ever hear them except for people who I would send the tapes to. But I probably did that uh, nearly a hundred times, just kind of working on that. And then I would stand outside of the opposing team's radio booth or TV booth and try to introduce myself and you know, meet people, make connections, you know, annoy people and then stay in touch with them. And so that was kind of how I built up learning about how to do play by play was just kind of doing it and then meeting people who were in the positions of doing what I would hopefully want to do and then kind of picking their brains and doing all of that in Detroit. And um, I worked with uh, Oakland University as well. While I was in college calling their games in the Horizon League, um, which was another Michigan based job, which was really, really cool. And um, I covered the Lions actually as an intern for Sports Illustrated, writing about the team during the uh, during the COVID, the initial COVID summer, um, when there was you know no sports going on, and we were wondering if we'd actually have an NFL season. And um, kind of later that summer, baseball started in empty stadiums, um, so that was kind of an initial experience of writing. And writing actually helped me a lot with play by play in the sense of during that time. You know, it's kind of learning how to craft sentences. And as you know, Joel, knowing how to craft a concise sentence is so key, especially with TV and getting in and out, as we like to say, or on radio as well. You only have so many time, so much time to do certain things. So um, as you can tell, I like to get into the nitty gritty of stuff. But yeah, I, I mean, a long winded answer here to why I think that meant so much to me is the experiences in Detroit building up and then growing up listening to our broadcasters like, you know, Ken Cal on the radio for the Red Wings or, you know, listening to Ken Daniels on TV for the Red Wings and and Dan Dickerson on the radio for the Tigers. And um, it's just it's such a cool feeling. And, you know, we have so many great broadcasters in Detroit. So to follow in those footsteps is, is pretty amazing. And it feels like a, a high standard to try to live up to, which makes me try to work even harder to do that. How did you how did you do all of that? Um, or how did you come about the idea to do all of that? Because. Uh, a handful of the things you listed are jobs, uh, yeah. but a handful of the things you listed are just you going and doing like, I'm just going to go do this. 
I'm going to take my camera and they're going to let me into the arena because I'm going to latch on to this publication or this outlet. Um, walk me through. All right. I'm going to be a broadcaster. How you decided this is going to be my route and I'm going to get it done by doing all of these little things that will in some add up to something bigger. I think it was a mindset of trying to hopefully create different opportunities. And like you said, some of these things definitely are, are not paid, but that was, it just wasn't in my my mind. I think I was more so just really obsessed with trying to work on my craft and see which demo tape I could make at this place and then build it into a new reel or whatever it was. Um, for me, I think I just, a, a love and passion for the job, I think definitely has to, has to take over when, you know, you, because I would stay up all night or work all day, but it would never really creep in my mind that that was the actual case because I just really genuinely loved doing it and being there and saying to myself, this would be pretty cool to have as in a real job one day. And um, it felt like I was doing it for my own real job because I felt like I was trying to create my, my path or whatever that might be in the industry. And I think I love that about this job because you can kind of create any sort of path you truly want to, if you take the initiative to try to put your foot in the door to try to get on the phone with someone to try to have a conversation. I think, you know, reaching out and emailing people and then saying, Hey, can I get in a phone call for 10 to 15 minutes or saying to an organization, Hey, can I come in to, to do this? And then hopefully you meet some people and they let you keep doing that. So, and then at the same time, Joel, I was always listening to your podcast, trying to pick different ways I could from people I was learning from. Like I, I noticed that, you know, Joe Davis, for example, who's another Michigan native, he went to a smaller school, but would, do different opportunities to try to create up his reps and his reels and whatnot. So I said, maybe I could try to replicate that in different ways. And um, so that was kind of a mindset I had of just trying to create whatever I could. And that's how it kind of led off. And now got some cool full circle opportunities coming up. I'll be calling the Michigan state, Michigan hockey game in a couple of weeks on big 10 network. And that game is actually at little Caesars arena, which will be the same gondola that I used to call games into my phone for, for practice and now it'll be live on big 10 network in a couple of weeks. Uh, so that'll be really cool full circle moment for me in a few weeks here. When did you realize um, this is all working? Like, when did you realize I can do this? <laughs> Man. Um, gosh, I, I think while you're in the midst of, I don't even know if like the word um, grind is really, I don't know if I call it that because I just, again, really enjoyed doing it, but then you step back and you examine in this industry. I think sometimes people ask us, you know, what are your work hours? And that's kind of a funny question because yeah, I don't really know. Um, so I, I always really admired that, that every day was different. And I think as you go along and you start to step back and see some things piecing together and opportunities coming about, then start to, I like to call it kind of building momentum and hope building momentum and hopefully that continues to build up. So, um, you know, opportunities started to come along and had an opportunity with ESPN to do some football for them on the digital side. And uh, that was my first kind of opportunity with a network. And um, I was still doing at the time I was tail end of would be my, my final year doing the United shore professional baseball league in Utica, Michigan, um, which is an independent league. So I was doing that and then kind of um, very pretty, Suddenly after that season ended, got the first ESPN plus opportunity, which was a game at Eastern Michigan on football it was Eastern Michigan against St. Francis, uh, my first week of the season and loved doing that. And then that built into some more things with ESPN and then uh, Big Ten Network started to come along. And then I moved to Chicago and had some fill in opportunities with the Chicago Blackhawks as well. 
And then some momentum started building with different networks and did some work with Fox too on the basketball side and continued doing work with ESPN at the same time. It's been doing work with ESPN for a few years now and all kind of started with that. And then um, things started kind of to move along uh, after that. So that was, I think when I realized this is started in work, these tapes that I've built up were starting to work in terms of people seeing them and turning into work. What do you remember about that Eastern Michigan, St. Francis football game? Wow. Okay. I remember being really nervous going into the open, then being told that the booth setup wasn't going to quite be up to par in terms of some difficulties to do an on-camera open. So then kind of almost took a sigh of relief there for a sec to maybe take away, okay, there's some of the nervousness pushed aside a little bit here and we can just get into the game, um, which isn't normal. It was just this random technical difficulty we ran into and couldn't do that. But I was working with uh, Marcus Ray, who played for Michigan, won a national title for them. And uh, he's celebrating now after Michigan just won another national title a week ago. So uh, Marcus was awesome to work with, really helped me out and calmed me down. My producer is a guy named Stas Hall, who is phenomenal. Um, director Anthony Giassi, who's a really good friend of mine. We text practically every day. And uh, those people are still mentors in my life and good friends. Um, Stas and Anthony are great to ping ideas off of for me. So um, I was always trying to, as well in college, learn the behind the scenes side of things. And I think, um, again, kind of taking things from your podcast, Joel, uh, listening to people like Ian Eagle talk about how having a just genuine interest for what other people on the crew are doing can really help you out. So I would edit things as well and um, did the show with my friend who you mentioned, Jenna Rose, called the Motor City Roundup. And we would literally piece together all the video and edit it and create graphics. And um, that, I think, helped play a role into the TV jobs when those came around. So um, I was really fascinated by what was going on in the truck because it's my first kind of real professional situation in terms of doing a network uh, broadcast. So um, yeah, Eastern Michigan won the game. And at the end of the day, I did remember driving back though in the car and thinking to myself, um, I, I'm just very hard on myself. So I was thinking to myself, I, I don't think this went very well. And naturally at that point in life, being actually afraid of, okay, are they still going to give me the next game next week? And um, I still have those fears sometimes if I think a broadcast didn't go well, but not so much anymore. But at that stage of life, thinking, okay, did, I actually don't think that went very well, made some progress throughout the game. Are they still going to give me a game next week? And um, having those fears really throughout the course of that first season almost every week and um, trying to get rid of that has been a process over the last couple of years as well. And I have, I think, and it's made me more comfortable. But that, I think, was the memory afterwards of being in the car and thinking, uh, I remember calling a friend and saying, I don't know if that went really well. So, um, yeah, just kind of a lot of thank thankfulness to the people at ESPN for continuing to give me opportunities uh, after that one. I'm sure it didn't go as bad. Like, we always think it went worse right. than it did, maybe right. better than it did. But staying in that not-too-high, not-too-low mindset has been really key. Tell me about that a little bit, though, because I think that's something that probably a lot of people listening to this can um, resonates with them is the idea of like we're all our own worst critics, hopefully, or maybe not. Um, how do you deal with ah, that? That didn't go well. Ah, I could have done this better um, and not letting those be the preeminent voices in your head. Mm, I think uh, a level of just kind of confidence in yourself um, not in arrogance of any sort, but a, a confidence in your ability that you're here for a reason to do this particular job. And speaking with confidence is something that I'm still trying to work on in my own personal life and 
doing that on the air and translating it to your broadcasts, I think, is something that is really important. And I think that naturally has helped me out with something I've really tried to work on is being more conversational. And I think initially in that stage of doing that first Eastern Michigan game, there's kind of a robotic nature of, okay, let me just get through this part of the broadcast. Then, okay, there's a there's an element coming from my producer in 10 seconds. Let's get through that. Now, um, I just called Michigan State uh, versus uh, Penn State in hockey last week. And then I yesterday I was at Penn State for Penn State Purdue women's basketball. And I think going into things now, there is a, a more of a command of this is going to be really fun. Let's approach it as that. And just a confidence in your work and your ability to speak on something and having trust in that, I think is, I think we all say public speaking is one of the top fears, if not the top fear of anyone in life. And that's what we we do for a living is going in front of people. And I think that for me in the on cameras, initially, I would try to think of one person being in that camera and talking to that one person, like a direct conversation, like we're having now. And I think I'm hearing more of that in myself over the last year or so, but initially um, it was kind of uh, a trepidation of, okay, I just got to get through this and hopefully it sounds good, but I think it came out sounding robotic. So trying to move on from that was really important for me. And I think um, something I did when I moved to Chicago, and again, Joel learned this from your show, Kevin Brown episode, I can just, we can shout out episodes, the, um, when he talked about taking improv classes. So I yeah. took improv classes here in I Chicago. I did too after that, by the way. Did, yes, yeah. exactly. The improv classes from the episode. So I live right down the street, actually, from Second City here in Chicago, which is awesome. And uh, underneath my Lions quarters, it <laughs> actually have my uh, Dunder Mifflin shirt on. So nice. shout out to the office. And I don't know if you can see here. I've got, yep. uh, yes, there we go. So like Steve Carell and people like that have taken improv at Second City. And I figured I'd go try it. And um, thanks to you for that. And just that mindset of adjusting to what comes into your environment has really been beneficial in terms of being looser and trusting myself and knowing to do that. So um, again, another long-winded answer of how I've started to get rid of some of that fear weekly of, okay, did, who, you know, what did someone think of what I said in this particular section of a broadcast? Now it's more so me looking back on uh, my own work and trying to just examine that. And that was something I got to learn at Lions training camp. Uh, Mike Tirico was there because he was actually preparing to call the Lions uh, season opener against Kansas City, which they ended up winning. So I got to meet Mike and Chris Collinsworth and hang out with Mike. And it was like I was in grad school, just being on the sidelines, standing with him and hearing him talk about how at, at this stage of his career, you know, he's calling the Lions game again on Sunday, which is awesome uh, against Tampa. And at this stage of his career, he is still very meticulous about reviewing his work each week and it felt as though that is very much a personal thing for him versus what someone else thinks of it. I'm sure he takes opinions and, you know, advice from others, but it's um, for me, I think it's genuinely trying to improve on what I think of my work and blocking out an outside frame that could creep into the mindset and be a negative thing. So I've gotten away from that a bit from talking to people like that and taking classes in second city. That kind of answers where, where I wanted to go with my next question, but I, I do want to explore it a little bit more too, because you talked about um, the idea of being conversational. And yeah. and I think we all deal with, you go on the air and you have to tell yourself, remember, be conversational, be conversational. It's like you're <laughs> you're at a bar and you walk up to a cute girl and you're like, remember, be conversational, be conversational. Exactly. Joel's name <laughs> is mine. No, my name is Joel. Damn. Uh, <laughs> Ross Jason or Jason Ross. Yeah. Right. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. My junior Ross Jason. There uh, we go. 
how did you how did you develop the comfort of the red light going on particularly if i'm on let's say i'm i'm doing a game on national television lots of people watching um developing the comfort level with we're just gonna i'm just gonna you know shoot the shit with the person who's sitting next to me we're gonna call the game as opposed to always processing what's mm. the next thing i can ask them they're talking what are they saying how can i make that better and getting beyond the hearing yourself think the broadcast and just doing the broadcast a big step for me joel was um sitting back and watching games i think we get away from this as people in sports media watching games as a fan if you have a team that you have a fandom for like my lions or whatever team it might be for anyone out there because you reinsert yourself into the seat of what a fan is thinking and if you're doing a team um, I've had the opportunities to do a few teams now. I'm in Chicago. I do the Chicago Sky and the WNBA. And I'm genuinely a fan when they score because I love when the Sky score and hopefully they win or when the when the Lions score. I hope that they are going to do well on next defensive possession after they score. And I think if you can reinsert yourself in that seat that we lose ourselves from pretty often, then you can feel in the moments of, say it is a big moment in the fourth quarter, in the final inning, whatever it might be, in the third period of how your team is feeling, how the fan is feeling when you're down a goal with two and a half minutes left. And, you know, this is how they they lost the last game on, you know, if that was two days ago or if it was a year ago in the playoffs and you understand that. Um, or on the flip side of that, if your team is in front and I think whatever it might be, like you would reinsert yourself into the feeling of how a fan would talk at that bar I guess if they're going to the bar to watch the game, what are they talking about? And then storyline wise as well, you reinsert yourself into how that fan base is feeling. Like I can't imagine how a, how a Cowboys fan is feeling right now after last week, after yet another, you know, second or first round loss. And <laughs> well, I can like, tell you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Joel. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not a Cowboys fan. Okay. I'm just, I can just, I, exactly. I, I, right. You don't have to stretch I mean, that far. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like you go on, you know, whatever it is, social media, and you see them, you know, throwing their TVs down and like that. That's how they feel right now. And I think even if it's a national broadcast to flip out of being the local team broadcaster, if you can convey what both sides of the equation are feeling, as we know, you, you know, someone's going to think you were biased towards the other side. Someone's going to think you're biased toward there to whatever it might be. But I, I think if you can do a good job of understanding what both fan bases are feeling. And then to take this a step further, something I listened, uh, learned from Adam Amin is the uh, the micro versus the macro, as he called it. And that micro is a good example. It, Joel, I know you've done quite a bit of baseball and, you know, looking back, say you're, you know, in a two or three game regular season series with a team and understanding as a national broadcaster, if you come in on Saturday and those teams played on Friday and Thursday and maybe Wednesday, You've got to understand what that local fan base felt on Wednesday. You got to understand what that local fan base felt on Thursday. Um, even if you're doing the national broadcast on Saturday night, which is, I guess, the quote unquote big one. Well, the fan base thinks that Thursday game was pretty big too. Um, and they think the Friday game was pretty big too. So you got to understand what happened to them two days ago and, you know, were their hearts broken on Thursday then were they, you know, rejoicing on Friday or had they had their hearts been broken on Thursday and Friday before the Saturday night game? Like, I think you got to really uh, sit back and understand that, um, too, on the national side of things. So I really have been trying to take into account that micro perspective 
the macro stretching it out being, you know, what was the fan base feeling going into the season and, you know, what were the expectations and what's happening now. But I think that micro is so important of being well-prepared and what happens if it's basketball, say you got Friday, but they played on Tuesday and they played Saturday as well. Um, like in January right now, middle of January, um, having, you know, Penn State Purdue yesterday, I, I can't just understand what the preseason media day storylines were for Purdue. I got to know who was injured week and a half ago and why they're just now kind of getting back to where they are. So uh, because that's a key part of what the fan knows. And these fans are passionate, um, especially, you know, we meant to talk about the NFL earlier, like the NFL fans know more going into the season than, than, than we do. So you got to really catch up almost to where they are and understand where they are uh, mentally. So I think that's really important in terms of being able to be conversational and very long winded detail answer to that. But I think those factors going to come into play there, too. Uh, you are within all of that. Uh, I know you are uh, very keen to preparation for your broadcasts. Um, and that goes way back for you. Uh, how did you learn the best ways to utilize that preparation and to tell the best stories when you do so? So it's which, how did you determine, all right, I've got all this stuff. This is what I'm going to use. And then when you tell it um, to be focused in that story so that it comes across the best way possible. Yeah, I, I think, as you know, Joel, different sports have different moments where we can get in stories or where we should not try to get in stories. Um, you know, we all know in baseball, don't try to jam in with you know, with two outs, it's this long story here. Um, or, you know, if it's late in a game, if it's, you know, postseason game, it might be tougher to get in. But I think finding the moments and feeling out where the puzzle pieces fit within your puzzle that you're trying to build. Uh, I think like I try to look back on it if after the game, if I were to read a, a well-written article about my game um, is what I told fitting that uh, in terms of the storyline of a game. And then for individual stories, uh, I, I think different sports, again, have their different times. Like I like to, if we're not doing a promo read at a free throw line for basketball, I love how Mike DeBreen tells a story at the free throw line and he does it in a way where he can do it in the amount of time it takes for those two free throws to be taken, which I think is brilliant. And I've tried to strive for that type of storytelling. Um, I think behind the scenes, peel back the layers on, on TV. We're having conversations with our producers during commercials of what can we come back with here? Do we have to take care of business with a sales element? Or can we talk to our director and say, hey, can we show this person? And then maybe this person afterwards or can we show this person's parents in the stands that we talked to before the game and talk about their story of how they made the trip here? Um, just yesterday, we had a player, Ashley Owusu, make her debut for Penn State at home after she made her road debut against Rutgers. Um, and she had been out the first couple months of the season. And uh, that was kind of a situation where, OK, we're going to show her parents, whatever might be coming back from break and we can get that in here. But I, I think knowing where those pieces of the puzzle can fit in, um, I had my my favorite, all-time favorite storytelling opportunity this past summer, working the Special Olympics in Germany for ESPN in Berlin. That's and cool. that was such an incredible storytelling platform. We were all almost in tears every day because of the stories that we would learn from these athletes and the inspiration that we were getting from them on a daily basis. And the stories, those almost took it to a new level for me of storytelling because you had stories of athletes who had been in 
you know, war-torn Syria for the last 12 years, training through literal bombings and their country being torn down to try to get to the Special Olympics and um, athletes from Ukraine who took a bus through Poland during a war to try to get to the Special Olympics in Berlin. And that it's, was- It's gotta be hard to incredible. to navigate that so that it doesn't it just, like to be able to actually call the event at the same time while feeling like you're doing justice to what's an incredible story. It Yeah, there was a, a very interesting balance there. And I was calling powerlifting, which is a new sport for me. So to get back to that structure, so powerlifting, you have this time where they're walking up the stage and that was my time to tell that story. So I did fortunately have that breathing room if I wanted to, to get that in. And then when the lift started, that's when my analyst would take over and replay, they would take it. But I would hope to humanize to a point where I could, you know, get that in as they were walking up the stage to the lift. And um, remember we had a lifter from Iceland, uh, Ayer Olafsson, and Ayer lost the ability in his legs to walk. So he's, he was in a wheelchair, his sisters were there, but growing up, Ayer always loves lifting on their farm in Iceland, lifting hay, whatever it might be, working on the farm. And that's where he developed his strength from. And to watch him get out of his chair, actually, and do the squat and watch his sisters behind us get up. And we were literally standing up in our seats. And like when I think about it back, I can't help but get chills and get emotional because it was this collective emotion in the stand that we were trying to convey. And I think that's the next layer of the story is vocally, how were you displaying this emotion and rising to that occasion in any moment in broadcasting, but for stories of that nature too, um, felt super important. Um, That's, that's a wild experience. Yeah, um, it was, it was. What kind of conversations did you have with your analyst in powerlifting in terms of how you were going to lay that out? So you were all on the same page. Yeah. So we beforehand, um, sometimes we actually needed to jump on our phones and do Google Translate with people. There's so many different countries there. And just, we were all together. Um, my analyst, Cheryl Hayworth, who was in the Olympics in Sydney uh, as, as a weightlifter. And then uh, Kelsey Riggs, our silent reporter, who is phenomenal. Um, we all kind of came together uh, with a preparation mindset ahead of time of getting our stories down and would map it out each morning of, Okay, when when this lifter comes up, we might want to get this in here, but we know they're gonna have another lift if we don't. And um, it was pretty fast paced, so we would feel that out. And Kelsey would do amazing interviews. Um, she was phenomenal, and and Cheryl, I learned so much from about the sport. Uh, so it was, I guess, really a collective that cohesive mindset that I love about this because it's like you're a team. Um, if we can cling on to being athletes at all, that's what we can try to do, and it feels like we're part of a team and executing the goal. And that was kind of the mindset in the morning each day before going into the sessions. Um, I want to talk about your, the, the, uh, the baritone, the baritone elephant in the room. <laughs> um, did you sound like this when you were four? Like when, when did this happen? <laughs> I would say, so it was around uh, middle school. I was in the choir and I can no longer be in the choir because it was kind of throwing everyone like it was just very different than everyone else's so that's when I kind of people would say that it's too different to be actually in this choir so then I started to realize uh, around that age and that was actually around the same time I started to really get invested in wanting to be a broadcaster was around middle school I always loved listening to tv watching you know, you know listening to radio as well and um and I think around that age started to develop an interest for wow this is a real job that people do and you can go to games and 
be the kind of the narr the narration behind these highlights I would love watching. And um, around that same time was when I could no longer be in the choir. So that's when I started to kind of uh, piece things together a little bit. And that was when I would hear it pretty often. They couldn't find you with a, a lower part. Like, what do we? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I guess not. <laughs> Have you done vocal training or vocalese uh, since you've gotten into this professionally? I did do some voiceover classes when I was in Michigan, actually. So the um, that was, it was actually um, really interesting. I had a challenge actually with kind of lowering my volume and doing voiceovers to be a bit more conversational with those. You do have to lower your volume and find a way to find that conversational tone. And that was a bit of an issue coming from play-by-play uh, -play where I'm, you know, in atmospheres where I'm kind of naturally speaking a little louder, but then I try to lower my volume actually sometimes on the air pretty often because I want to get more into a conversational tone because you're, I was, I don't know what if I was yelling before, but it was almost too high of a volume to be conversational. So trying to lower that down um, led to more vocal variation and um, had a great teacher who had done a ton of commercials and whatnot. And just kind of being around other people who were in that same space and then same thing with improv, just being in that creative space, as you know, in those classes, people who, whether they had goals of actually you know, doing comedy or acting, whatever it might be, um, being in that headspace is, is was just really cool. So I did take voiceover lessons. Yeah, that's wild. Because and I don't know if this was on the podcast or not. It might have just been in a, in a conversation. But Brian Anderson has talked about um, like having an action voice and a other broadcast voice so that someone can be in the kitchen cutting an apple and they hear the game is going on and that sounds different than oh i need to put this down and go into the next room um so being able to train your intonation um to come off differently in different settings is is not the first time someone's brought that up yeah and brian is really into the the breath work too just the, the stomach and everything and you know especially before a big moment i've tried to do that holding in the breath so you can have more to deliver out. Um, I love that. It's so fascinating. The breath work and, and the voice, the different variations of how you can do that. It's really intriguing. What else do you do breath work wise? Before I go on to the the next thing with you, I, I do want to wrap up the, the Olympic or particularly the special Olympic idea, because it's such a unique event um, of all of the things that you've been able to broadcast so far. Is there something that sticks out to you as being particularly different, cool, special? Um, and is there something that is a bucket list for you in that regard? Wow. Well, are we saying other than the Special Olympics right now? I mean, that I guess you could choose that one, but if there's anything else that comes to mind, yeah, that too. Yeah, I Special Olympics definitely at the top of the list there for unique experiences and just flat out incredibly cool experiences. That was so amazing. So amazing. Um, I still think back on it every day. It was so incredible. Um, but I actually just called for the first time last weekend on SEC Network. I did college gymnastics and uh, that was in Tuscaloosa at Alabama. It just happened to be the day after Nick Saban retired too. I saw that. I saw that. Going to Tuscaloosa. That was, um, that was interesting and got to work with an awesome analyst, Sam Pechik, who was in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. And I love doing different sports because of the different unique communities that you'll meet. Um, the Special Olympics community was amazing. I hope I can be a, a, you know, considered a part of that community now after being a part of the broadcast. And that was so fun. And then the gymnastics community is so different and unique as well. It was, uh, <laughs> they're very, they're intense. Yes, exactly. High standard. 
right very I tried to live up to that high standard Joel and I was pretty nervous going in but had a really great group of people and ESPN does a phenomenal job with Special Olympics coverage um they had really really good high ratings last weekend we had an awesome opening weekend on ABC as well and I was on the SEC network meet for Alabama and Missouri um with Sam and that was another experience where you know you're kind of going in I love this job because it's so different every day. Um, that one was definitely very different in the sense I, I really didn't uh, know what to expect initially after we finished our open. It's a very, very quick turnaround into your initial apparatus. You start off with, you know, vaults and it's going by quickly and you're trying to get your footwork down and ease your way in, but you don't really have time to do that. And then it starts to slow down when you get to the floor and the beam routines. Um, but it, it is... It is very fast paced and such an incredibly athletic sport. And so, so amazing to watch just the elegance and the artistry of that sport firsthand and in person and seeing it in the South as well. And the passion they have for it uh, down there really was a fun experience. So I've always loved to watch in gymnastics. So I'm excited to be a part of the SEC network and have some ACC network as well uh, team this season for gymnastics and uh, have always loved watching Dan Hicks on swimming. He's in the great. Olympics as well. He's great. Oh, so great. Yeah. I love figure skating too, Joel. Like that is um, a really neat sport. So the floor routine in gymnastics is one where you lay out because you don't want to talk over their music. People really do not like that. And same thing if you're watching figure skating. As the play-by-play, you tee it, tee it up, but you really do not want to talk over the, the musical aspect of that because that is a part of the artistry. That is a part of the laying out of it. And I think there's a beauty to that. And I think another sport that I really, really love is is tennis as well. And similar to that, I guess, you could, you know, there's no music, of course, playing while the ball is being hit back and forth. But maybe that is the sport's music in a sense, um, because it is the sound that we're laying out during. And that is the artistry of tennis is not speaking while the action is going, unlike the basketball game I just did yesterday. So um, I, I love how different sports have their own art within the art literally with music and the elegance of the almost dance flair that comes into a floor routine in gymnastics or figure skating as well. Um, and then with tennis, I think it's, it's that collective kind of holding of the breath as we talked about breath work before that you have with the fans that you're waiting. How, how is this point going to end? And then you kind of exhale and let your call come out afterwards. And I love listening to Chris Fowler do that on tennis. Um, so I think those are some sports that I would aspire to keep doing for sure on the Olympic level for me. So I, I had a unique experience um, the night before the meet actually. And I think this speaks to how close knit the gymnastics community is. This helped out a lot and I'd never experienced this before and it was very unique. Um, but we actually went out to dinner, Sam and I, with the Alabama coaching staff, oh, nice. uh, which was uh, super helpful to just kind of sit back like a fly on the wall and soak in their conversations. Uh, Sam, good friends with them. They have ties that go back years. So that's how that came about. And that was really, really neat. And um, just it's a really it's a fun community of people. I, I think they're very welcoming and they Hopefully they want you to learn their sport. And they, you know, I didn't try to overstep there. I, I think that a key in doing these Olympic sports is yep. staying in your lane and yep. knowing you have an incredible analyst. And I definitely had an incredible analyst who has done this on the Olympic level, on the college level, at the highest level. So not trying to overstep there because there are sports where people can really sniff that out 
like they're very niche gymnastics fans. They're very niche wrestling fans. And you don't want to try to overstep into that territory if you don't have to. So yeah. I, I like I didn't have to. And just, <laughs> just have to yell too very, very quickly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I did really love the I love the preparation process going into it and trying to. I love ESPN's philosophy of humanize over analyze. Yeah. I felt like that could hopefully be somewhere where I could find a, a strength with this and learning about their stories. And um, I love sports where it is a, it's a team sport, um, but you have individuals going up there by themselves, kind of like a tennis where you're out there by yourself and you get to focus at least for, it moves quick. I mean, producers in your ear, okay, we're going to the next athlete. You might have 20 seconds in this stretch to do that, but at least for that 20 seconds to be able to find a place where I can, humanize them and teach people about their story going into the routine or maybe for a few seconds after that. So that was kind of my, my goal there. And that was really fun. I uh, learned about that and do it for a new sport as well. What is one thing you have to do during a broadcast to make you feel like you're going to have a successful broadcast? Um, if that's how you organize yourself or conversations you have, or I, it could be literally anything. What what do you need to do in any given broadcast? I think for me, first and foremost, is knowing personnel. Um, I think for me, it's very hard to do this job well if you don't have any personnel down. Uh, so that is probably, for me, number one, first and foremost. So for, for hockey, for example, uh, that Michigan State-Michigan hockey game, I'm going to watch. They're going to play tonight. Um, it's on Big Ten Plus. So our broadcast is in a couple of weeks on Big Ten Network. But I'm going to watch tonight because I have not had um, – I've had both teams, but I haven't, of course, had them against each other. So I want to watch how they, you know, fare against each other, which lines are out there against two, whatever it might be. So I can assess that. But then also making sure I'm keeping up with, you know, who is who, who's wearing number five. You know, I, I need to know that, like, it, like I'm looking at – like I'm looking at a sibling or a family member, whatever it might be. Like I'm looking at my best friend. I need to know who this is or else I can't really – do hockey well or it's going to look down and then miss a goal I, I just you, we can't have that happen same thing with basketball watching film ahead of time you know film study I think I really love doing that has been an uptick for me because I really enjoy it and um sometimes I pick up things I can ping off my analyst of did you see this too and sometimes you're thinking no you got that totally wrong that is not what happened there but so other times it's just for me you know um just kind of nailing down personnel and that is so important going into, especially I keep bringing up hockey because I can't look down in that sport sometimes. So doing that is very key. If it's a receiver in football, um, knowing who that is, who intercepted the pass, I think being able to be on that is really important. I think, um, you know, people like Joe Davis or Adam do that so well. Mike Tirico, of course, uh, do that so well. So knowing that is really, really important for me without looking down. So I think first it has to be known personnel. I, uh, as we've done this entire interview, I've looked over your shoulder um, and I have still my first charts from my first game on ESPN and my first game on CBS. Um, and they are, I had them signed by my analysts for both games. I think Swin Cash thought I was a little weird, um, but I still have them as mementos. And as I'm looking over your shoulder, I, they, that looks chartish. It is. Um, so I'm yeah. curious what what is what is framed and and why is that chart so special to you? Yes, this is my first um, FS1 basketball game, DePaul versus Western Illinois. Uh, I was here in Chicago and decided to put up the chart. The credential is there as well. 
That is my special Olympics credential. And then I also have a signed uh, credential from an analyst. It was my first um, NHL game, which was with Kaylee Chelios on the radio, the Blackhawks and the Colorado Avalanche. That was also here in Chicago. So she signed that one for me and I've got that one up there too. But yes, I love moments in life, which is I think one of the reasons I love broadcasting actually, because we get to capture moments in other people's lives and have the privilege of hopefully doing that correctly. So um, I just, I'm, I've got so many pictures in my phone from just overtime. Like I need to go get my iCloud checked or something at the Apple store today because I'm running out of space. So it, I just love saving moments and you know, it. it's just, it's so cool to look back on things. That's awesome. Um, and it's cool that it's always there. So it's, I, I don't yeah. know if it keeps you grounded in some way, cause it's always this reminder of where it all started in some way, shape or form. For sure. Yeah. I think when you can take yourself back to that moment and uh, understand why you really love doing this or what that feeling was going into your first whatever, I think that is a moment or a feeling that we should all carry into every broadcast because I think like we should run into these arenas like we are those younger little kids who we got our first chance to go to a whatever it might be. I don't know, an NBA game today or a college football game today. This is so fun what we get to do it's it truly is living in a candy store and we should have that kind of smile on our face while we're doing it so i think um that's why i love to say those kind of moments so you can look back on it and just continue having that feeling because i think you can hear that in broadcast when you when you have that feeling of loving where you are in this current place in life um so i like to hopefully keep up that mindset that's a good uh that's a good place to end it jason i uh yeah. i appreciate you coming on uh how do people find you so uh, on Twitter, Jason Ross Jr. and then the number one. And then uh, Instagram, Jason Ross Jr. Um, let's see, I've got an SEC Network broadcast coming up as we record this, which is Florida versus Mississippi State women's basketball on Monday. So going to Gainesville for that this weekend. Um, but yeah, Joel, I can't thank you enough for having me on. I Again, I was super nervous for all the people out there. I was like, did this Joel, live up to that. expectations? That's the... I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that I didn't sound too nervous during the episode because it definitely was. This is you, your podcast helped me so much just learning the crafts. And I've listened to so many episodes over and over again. There are episodes I probably listened to at least 10 times just to try to dip back and listen. Okay. This person said this and how can I apply that to my broadcast today and still do that a lot. Um, when you emailed me, I was, just a couple days before I listened to the Jason Benetti episode, which is a phenomenal episode. Uh, so, uh, yeah, man, I can't thank you enough. Yeah.